Hello and welcome to the Winners Never Quit podcast. Start your week the right way with a laugh and a dose of motivation. Listen to the stories of our guests, learn from their experiences and how they have built a winner's mindset. Hosted by myself, Jack Jarvis. And if you could like, follow or subscribe to the podcast, I would really, really appreciate it. Today I'm joined by a fellow world record holder, endurance swimmer, Ollie Rush. Ollie holds multiple long-distance swimming records, including the fastest time to swim around the Isle of Wight, and in May, after 37 hours swimming 65 miles, he became the first person to swim around Grand Cayman, and he joins me now. Ollie, how, how the devil are you, mate? Really you good? good, really good, thanks, mate. It's no, great. Mate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And the first question, we always start the podcast the same way, um, what defines winning in your life? Um, winning for me, I think, is is setting yourself something that's challenging first of all, and then not necessarily accomplishing it because sometimes the the goals can be so high that they're you, you don't you don't always hit them. But I think to just go ahead and give it your all, I think to me is winning, and also enjoying the process. Very vital, mate. Because if you don't enjoy the process, maybe the outcome isn't what you want. It's not a it's not a wasted journey as yeah. such. So, mate, I've spoke about your achievements, about your swimming career. Uh, career but let's roll it back how did you get into swimming tell me about your uh, sort of childhood your early swimming memories yeah so growing up um we were I was a competitive swimmer me and my brother um we would always be up um silly early doing training before school I don't know what you know about sort of competitive swimming but the training is so intense um you're swimming before your classmates are normally out of bed to be honest and then after school swimming as well um so it, it was full on um but I loved it we got fairly did fairly well. Um, I uh, came third in England, I think was my was my highlight for breaststroke. Um, got to an age of about 13, 14. And, you know, you start noticing, <laughs> noticing girls and other things take yeah, your interest. Yeah. And I drifted away from it. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I've gone back into it so much now and with so much um, passion is to really, because you shouldn't have regrets in life. But I think one regret I have is, is giving up swimming when I was younger. Do you reckon it, was it on the cards that you could have progressed maybe, I don't know, Commonwealth Olympic Games or or did you quit maybe because you were like, I'm not the elite level, even at 13, having that sort of realisation? It's different. Without sounding big headed, I was winning. I was winning the races. So I don't think that was it. I was always I was always up there. I was tall for my age in my age group. I was, I was fairly fit as well. Um, you know, training a hell of a lot at that age. Um, but it just got to a point where I just found other interests. And it, I say it, it's one of those things that I do regret. So, yeah, I think I probably could have gone quite far with the competitive swimming. And now it's more of a case of I know I can't be the quickest anymore, so I'll damn well swim the furthest. <laughs> I'll be the longest. No, I like it. Um, an interesting one I want to touch on there because something I think about, you know, because I do want kids one day. What would your advice be to trying to keep in a child interest? Do you reckon it's because you started so early, like were you maybe pushed a little bit too much or maybe not enough? Um, I'm just trying to sort of untangle that. Yeah, I'm not not really sure exactly what it was that yeah. made me give up. I think it is just you, your interests do go elsewhere. You know, your you, your friendship group might be slightly different. My friends were all into different stuff. Yes, obviously, I had a lot of friends at swimming, but it is quite a solo sport. So with swimming, I, I think the answer to keep keep people involved in swimming is really it's got to be in them you, they've got to want to continue deep down so I think it's difficult like you said if you push someone into something they're probably gonna re- rebel almost and back away I don't think yes my mum bless her she probably was quite pushy but we needed that in yeah. order to get out of bed in the mornings and go swimming um, I don't really know how to keep people in 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 a, in a hobby like that but it's it's important that um, that's, that's where it grows from you know it's re- repetition of, of a certain activity is where you get good at it me and my mum talk and I and I say sometimes, you know, I wish she'd have pushed me a little bit harder because she she did. We was always out, outdoors, you know, active, going to after school clubs and that. And she always says, but yeah, ultimately, I couldn't force you. And ultimately, I didn't want to force you mm. to do something. So it's like it is a fine, I think, balancing act. So you took the sort of hiatus from swimming. What relit your fire to get back into swimming? You know, you stopped at 13, 14, But what made you want to? start again yeah I think it, one of the reasons is because I think I've got that regret still from giving up at an early age I think that doesn't go away whether I kind of deep down realized that was the, the catalyst I'm not sure but it really it was combining my two passions and that's um and it's only a recent thing to be honest I say recent the last sort of five years I've noticed how we're kind of treating the planet a lot more I'm a lot more aware about plastic pollution and things like that because I'm always down on the coast 
Um, so it's combining the passion of um, the environment and swimming and really putting those two together. Um, and for me to, to be able to swim and it's, I'll be honest, it's the one time my mind gets to, to be quiet and I, I can relax is, is when I'm swimming. So it's, it's a pleasure to do it. Um, and I think that's why I'm so obsessed with it. And you, you, I think you do have to be obsessed in a, in a way to excel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of why I got back to it because it, it, I get a lot back from it as well. I'm the same like people ask why I did the row and and things like that and I want to push myself harder now is because you look back and you can't you can't say you wasted your childhood because you're being a kid aren't you you know what I mean like of course like chasing after girls as you say or boys whatever um, <laughs> you know it's part of growing up but I look back and I think god I wasted some time like you know hours sat in front playing like Xbox you know when yeah. you could have been out doing something so no I get that um, so I actually left something out with your intro you swam the Jurassic Coast. How far was that? And tell us about sort of when that came about. When did that? When did that start? Yeah, so that was really the catalyst, to be honest, for the the distance swimming stuff. Um, that was in 2020. Um, so 2019 um, was a bit of a turning point for me. I was working six, seven days a week. I was getting home in the evenings, doing my house up, um, and really not that happy. I guess I was doing what, unfortunately, a lot of us do, which is chasing, you know, material possessions and money for happiness. And it got to a point where I was at near burnout and I decided I want to take um, take a day off. So I went down to a place called Chapman's Pool and that's when I noticed all the plastic pollution. I mean, I'm skipping through this a lot here, but that yeah, that, that was the, the, the reason I wanted to get back into the swimming and, and use that as a tool to create awareness. Um, so we decided to do a, it was going to be a 16 kilometer swim along the Jurassic Coast. So we went out and did a training swim with a chap called Roy um, Roy Beale from Clean Jurassic Coast, who's turned in, he's a very good friend of mine now. Um, and we did the 16 kilometer swim. Uh, we did a training swim and we realized that actually 16 kilometers didn't feel that much of a challenge. It was like, actually, this is just fun that we should, we should do something longer. We should try and do something massive. So is he a good swimmer as well? He's not, he's a kayaker, oh, so, okay. which is amazing because he's really good at just being there in a kayak <laughs> yeah. and providing incredible support. So it kind of was like a match made in heaven, to be honest. Um, and we decided to swim the Jurassic Coast. Um, we did it in 10 days. Well, we did it in nine days. Um, we got round to Studland, Old Harry Rocks at the end there. So Exmouth in South Devon, all the way along to Studland. Um, and it was something like 86 miles. And I thought, oh, you know, another 14, we can call it 100. That sounds a lot better. So we put yeah. a little call out on, on social media and said, look, if we can get the total, because we we're fundraising, um, for some some plastic uh, and ocean conservation charities, some local ones. Um, if we can get the total up to 10,000, I'll do another f 14 or 16 miles, whatever it was. What were you on at the time? We uh, were on 86. So, yeah, we had yeah. to do another 14 miles. No, sorry, I meant fundraising. Oh, we were on about 7,000, so we needed another 3,000. Three yeah. And within about four hours, it had gone up to 10. And I was like, eh, I was still buzzing. Yeah, it was a great yeah. idea at the time. But that 10th day, because we'd already achieved the challenge, I'd already achieved what I'd set out to do in the first place, which was the Jurassic Coast. That next 14 miles the next day was so difficult. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if you went through, you've done an incredible row, which hopefully I'll be able to ask you a few questions yeah. about as well, to be honest. But I went through some, some dark stages and that was just, you know, I say just, it was one 14 mile swim. But I remember looking up at my kayaker and I love the guy to bits. He's, he's one of my best mates now. And he was pulling these little faces to try and motivate me. And I remember just thinking, dude, just stop yeah, it it yeah, was just because yeah. i was so you know like tense and anxious and just wanted to get it done so yeah what made you keep going on that on that last day i mean how did you because david Gog goggins has a brilliant quote no finish line he says never ever always be prepared to go again yeah and that was exactly what you, you hit your finish line you were done yeah so how did you keep going i mean was it yeah how did you keep going that was the trouble i was done as yeah. well physically i was tired it's not something i was you know i hadn't really trained that much for for a swim and i was i was really tired i was sleeping in my van every night we were camping along the coast so you're not so, getting that good night's so sleep i wasn't getting what a good was night's sleep i can't imagine the food was or were you 
was everyone lashing you up from the local community? I was community? getting looked after. Yeah. My, my parents and my girlfriend and long-suffering girlfriend um, <laughs> were bringing stuff down every night. So I was well fed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just I don't sleep well at the best times, let alone in the back of a van yeah. in some dodgy car park. So After swimming, what, average about 10 miles a day? Or yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that sort of distance. So that was was tough. So that last day was really tough. And going back to what you said, the, the David Goggins quote, I mean, that guy's incredible. I love, oh, love yeah, watching so. and listening to some of his podcasts and books and all sorts. But... It's really just um, just remembering that for swimming, it's just putting one arm. You can always put one arm in front of the other. And it's whether you're prepared to just keep enduring that for a certain amount of time. I, I don't think I'm ever, I'm, well, I very nearly reached it on my last swim. But I was always able just to put one arm in front of the other. So I didn't focus too much on the finish line. I just kept swimming until my, my kayaker said we're there. Um, and just put my head down, tried to switch off. I'm quite lucky I can go into is not a state of meditation exactly but like I said to you earlier it is the one time where my mind is quiet when I'm swimming my head's down I can't see anything really and it's just the sensation of water and stuff going past me I just find it it's it's amazing so but obviously I was very tired (laughs) the reason I I like endurance swimming well I don't like it I want to get into it with running I've done my ultramarathon you can stop all right You, you know you can walk one thing with swimming I always think if you stop right or something goes wrong you'll drown and die <laughs> like that's a thing that you know I need to overcome in my head and not just that the abrasions on your skin and the and the salt water what was your body sort of like after that though that first swim on on like you because you, you see Ross Edgley you know yeah. the chafe for the wetsuit and you know yeah. the salt water just degrading your skin does it have a big effect or did you not really notice it after sort of 10 days it does have a massive effect more so if you're i think in the water for a prolonged period of time i mean i was swimming i guess you know up to about four or five hours i think on the jurassic coast swim so it wasn't yes it's a long time to be in the sea but you recover then overnight you know you're not getting the things like salt tongue i had a very good um fitting wetsuit from the guys at snug wetsuits uh, so cheers to them but great um, plug there well nice done ollie plug. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um so it i was pretty careful i had a proper silicon um neck thing i was using all the vaseline so i didn't really get any rubs to be honest um or anything like that my tongue was okay the last swim i've just done which i'm sure we'll talk about that's a different story. Yeah. I was in the sea for a long time, and it it did it did uh, the the thirty seven hours, mate. Yeah, yeah, that was that was something else. <laughs> you finished the Jurassic Coast Jurassic Coast swim, and then you wanted to swim around the Isle of Wight. Why did you want to keep going? Obviously, you're very passionate about ocean conservation. Was it just to build the profile? But what made you want to go back in the arena and do another? big event yeah so my motivation very much comes from it's not about being uh, it's not about yes there's some there's definitely an ego there I think everyone has got a bit of an ego I want to be a good swimmer but the my majority of my of my passion and drive to be able to do these big swims is because I love I, you know just we get so much from the sea and this planet and it's our home and we have to protect it better so um, I wanted to do something else something bigger that hopefully we could raise more money and you know build the profile um, and hopefully be able to help you know, more more organisations to be able to get involved with, with cleaning up the ocean. So we finished the, the Jurassic swim, um, and I still can't remember to this day who it was, a chap or lady tapped me on the shoulder. Um, this was on day nine of the Jurassic swim, when we could see the Isle of Wight and said, oh, you'll be swimming around the Isle of Wight next year. And I, I uh, don't be stupid, or brushed it under the carpet. Um, and then after after the the slump if you like after drastic swim because i did get get a bit of a slump afterwards i'd achieved that thing that i'd set out for and been training for so hard for so long um went through a bit of a slump when i managed to get out of that um it it was you know where where to next and i wanted to wanted to do another big swim um got in touch with a chap who'd last swam around it just literally dropped him a message on sounds very similar to how we met wasn't it yeah (laughs) it's the way to do it nice and casual yeah so i dropped him a message and said hey scott chap called scott dawson um i want to swim around the isle of Wight. would be great to have a chat we had a little chat um and within about 10 minutes he said i've he sort of said to me look ollie i get people like this phone up all the time or get in contact saying they want to swim around the isle of Wight without really knowing how big of a challenge it is he said but it sounds like you've got a chance so let's let's make it happen so we built a team um, and that was that. Uh, then about a year later, we we went and did the Isle of Wight swim. So very lucky. Talk to us about the logistics of these sort of big swims because it's not just you in the water. The funding, you know, the safety boats. Talk to us. How would was that different from the Jurassic 
to the round the Isle of Wight swim. Yeah, so I've always been very lucky with the swim so far that I've not had to worry too much about that side of it. I'm not great at planning and organising these events. How we've pulled them off so far, I'm not really <laughs> sure because I am that bad yeah. at planning. What I perhaps am quite good at is, is is getting a good team together that are good at it. Yeah. And and hopefully, you know, my cheeky smile kind of works and we get people involved and they can see I'm crazy enough to take these swims on. So I haven't had to do too much of the planning. But that said, you know, the people that do give up their time, they're not getting... You know, they're not getting a world record. They're not get, getting the, the media attention or whatever it is that a lot of people crave. They're just doing it because they believe in it and it's something they want to get involved in. And that's what's special. Um, so I've been super lucky with the amount of people that have got involved with all my swims. Roy, uh, Roy Bill, the first one who did, um, who organized the Jurassic Swim. He planned all the tides, um, the, planned all the stops. And you, the amount of planning that goes into these swims, and it's got bigger with each swim. Um, the Isle of Wight swim, I, again, I handed over that, that side of things, the event planning to Scott Dawson and, and a chap called Brian Thompson, um, a really well-renowned sailor. Um, so I haven't had to get too involved in it, but I know it's it's huge. Um, and, and the amount of people that you need to make it happen on the actual day as well is massive. And it all needs to be so flexible because you can't, you can't control the weather. So, you know, maybe you're going to go this week, maybe you're going to go that week. So everyone needs to be flexible and no one's getting paid. So it's, it's, it's a huge thing. How many people do you have on the team on the day of the race? Yeah, so it d- depends on the swim. So the, the, the Jurassic swim was me and Roy. And then I would also, you know, count in all the supporters that came each evening to, to come along, moral support, a hot soup and all that sort of stuff. Um, the Isle of Wight swim, I would imagine there was about 15 of us on the water. So we had a, uh, a yacht with um, skipper by Brian or Scott. They kind of switched over. We had a team of kayakers. Um, yeah, so a, a big, a big event. And and then the last swim, Grand Cayman, was double that. We had two massive catamarans. We had the Coast Guard. It, it just went to another level. I was very lucky to have someone who's perhaps got a similar mindset. For, you know, art, he's got a um, military background, very good at planning. Um, and, and he planned most of that swim for me. So, but the, the, that side of it is huge, um, and not something I wanted to get too involved with, to yeah. be honest. Because I do need to be focused on the swim, yeah. and I need to be focused on the training, and, and I can't spread myself too thin. Um, got, got to stay focused to do, to do these big swims. Yeah. How long did it take you to train for the Isle of Wight, and uh, what was the training regime like? Yeah, so it's um it's not something I've got professional advice for. I have I do tend to just blag it. I won't lie. I just looked at the size of the swim and thought, right, I I trained for a swim that was going to be. Sorry, mate. How many miles did you do? It was sixty-one miles, I think. Yeah, so it's a long way. Yeah, that's what three times the channel. Yeah, so, so about three times a channel, three in in in, the, in terms of distance, just under. Um, so it's no mean feat. So it's swimming to France and then back. And then to France. You know. That said, anyone listening knows from the channel, I I probably couldn't swim the channel. And that's because of the temperature. And that's not no other reason. I was in a wetsuit when I swam around the Isle of Wight. Um, I think I would struggle to swim the channel. If ch- chuck me in a wetsuit and I had the right conditions, I could swim across the channel. Um, I think at the moment I would have to put on about two stone to be able to swim the channel because I do get cold yeah. quite quick. So it's although it sounds incredible, and it is, it's a massive, massive swim. And you do have to have a lot of organisation. The tides there, there's 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 a there's a massive undertaking when you when you start trying to plan to swim around the Isle of Wight. And and I'd planned to swim for 26 hours. That's what we estimated the swim was going to take me. So I was swimming in um, my local pool up and down. The lifeguards thought it was absolutely crazy. It was too cold to do the sort of distance stuff that I needed to do in the sea. So I was in a pool full of chlorine, swimming up and down for up to eight hours at a time. The hair on my arms was coming out because of the chlorine and it, it was horrible to be honest but i was able to switch off um i would say i was probably swimming about 16 hours a week so not massive but i was swimming every day with a big swim at the weekend so one big swim so an eight or a ten hour and then i got a few big swims in as well from my old coach from my ferndown otter days chap called mark newman absolute legend um and we'd go out on his boat around pool harbour and do some big swims, so some eight hours and 10 hour training swims. So I'd never done anything bigger than 10 hours in going into the to the Isle of Wight, which was predicted to take 26 hours. So perhaps a little bit naive, but I know I've got this kind of lazy stroke that I can yet to found how long it will keep going for. Yeah. So no, still pushing. I would 
totally, I wouldn't say that's naive at all, mate, because I'd always get asked, yeah, but Jack, how can you replicate 111 days at, of ocean mm. rowing, you know, because the longest row I probably did was three hours, like a marathon. You're never going to replicate 111 days. So mm. there's, you know, it's all about conditioning. And I was really lucky. I had a really great coach, Gus Barton. Shout out, Gus, if you're listening. And he was so scientific. And it obviously worked because a big thing for me was injury prevention. Yeah. And uh, I didn't get injured and I was able to row every day. Never missed a never missed a shift um, due to injury, which was really good. So, no, I totally I wouldn't say it's naive at all, mate. I think people, maybe because we listen to Goggins, think you need this, right? I need to run continuously for nine days mm. to get ready for an ultra. Um, speaking about your experience in long-distance swimming, if anyone's looking to get into long-distance swimming, open-water swimming, what would be a little bit of advice you would give them? Yeah, so like we just said then, I mean, distance swimming, long distance swimming, any kind of swim that takes you more than half an hour is, you know, is a long swim, really. So you've just got to get efficient. If you're running, you don't hold your breath. So I see a lot of people jump in the pool in the sea, and the first thing they're doing is really struggling to breathe. So you need to just be relaxed. Um, as soon as you're tense or anything like that, it's going to use so much more energy. Um, so that's really it, just getting efficient at your stroke. And then, you know, get even more efficient and yeah. keep doing it. Um, I think overtraining is really, really, really prevalent. And I think it's something I definitely did with my last swim. Um, I was, because it was such a big swim, I definitely did too much training. I actually injured my shoulder, didn't swim. I didn't get in the sea for two weeks before the swim. Um, so yeah, don't don't overtrain. Um, join a local club. If you're going to get into open water swimming specifically, then yeah, get get with a bunch of people for safety reasons as well. Yeah. Um, but just enjoy it, and it's just, it's an incredible sport to get involved with. Yeah, that's why I always encourage my mum because my mum was a good swimmer and she wants to get into open water swimming. So mum, if you're listening, that's your advice. Get there. in there, <laughs> um, mate. How much of a role do the tides play when you're going round the Isle of Wight? And because you did it on Neeps, didn't you? We went on a no, spring. You went, sorry, you yeah. went on springs, which surprised me because I thought you'd go on neaps. Yeah. What what time of the year did you go and, and why did you go then? So we went in August um, and the tides play a huge role. At one point, I was, I think I was beating the Olympic 100 meter pace um, going along a certain stretch. So the tide plays a massive, massive part of, of any open water swimming, um, but especially around an island. Um, with the Isle of Wight, unless you're, you're going to sprint the whole way around, you're going to be against the tide at some point. Um, we kind of took a risk. We, we looked at the pace I could swim at and, the, and how long we thought we, I could sustain that pace for. And it was, it was decided to go on a spring. There's only about three, the tide that we went on, it was one of the strongest tides of the year. Um, and I think the area is called Benbridge. I could be wrong. But as you come round the back of the island, um, there's, there's... Sorry, just visualising the Isle of Wight. Where did you start? We started at Sea View and sea view, yeah. went anti-clockwise. Anti-clockwise, right. Yeah. Got you, got you. Yeah. Um, uh, I hope I've got that right now. <laughs> I'm sure I have. Um, and Turns yeah. out you started at Cows, went clockwise. Yeah, no, I, no idea. <laughs> I just swam around and got out at the end. Um, and yeah, the, the tides were absolutely incredible, especially going through the needles there. Um, yeah, yeah. The speed there. I mean, you could almost say it was a little bit dangerous. The boats couldn't come through there. Um, it was super shallow going through the point where we went through. Uh, and then again, I'm sure it's called Benbridge, um, where the where the tides are, are meeting and rushing against each other, you get standing waves, and they were huge. The both the kayakers, I just heard this. You know, Roy shouted at me. I don't want to shout now because I've got a microphone next yeah. to my face. And uh, and the, both the kayakers split each either side to get out of my way in case they came out. And the waves were huge. Even the you know the, the safety rib had to go quite wide. So there is these dangers. But yeah, when you're planning a swim around the Isle of Wight definitely the tides are absolutely essential yeah you could be the best swimmer in the world you're not going to swim against a spring tide no what trying to go through the needles and yeah like we said before we start recording a lot of boats come a cropper there because mm. you've got that huge mass of water um if anyone's not very good at sort of geography coming from, from bournemouth say mm. and going through that narrow channel i'm not surprised um you were going faster than uh, the 100 meters pace because it's it's like people don't understand, mate. It's dicey, like yeah. you know, really, really dicey. But anyway, you were successful. Fifteen hours, very well done. Fastest Thank man you. around the Isle of Wight. But you weren't done there. Tell us about the next adventure. No, this is and so the official world record that is behind us. We got the official world record. We should probably touch on that. So with the yes. Isle of Wight, I was, I was kind of, it wasn't bothered. It was useful for 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 getting sponsorship. Yeah. That it was going to be a world record attempt. 
and I was told by various organisations, I won't name them, there's only two that deal with those, so people can guess who yeah. they are. Um, I was told it was going to be a world record um, if I went round and stuck to the, you know, obviously you can't be touched, there's certain rules yeah. you have to stick to. Um, because I didn't know, I, I told them I was doing it in a wetsuit, that was fine. At the end of the day, they said no, because you were in a wetsuit. I, I wasn't going to complain yeah. too much. I'm not bitter. <laughs> I don't sound bitter. You don't sound bitter. Good. No. I'm bitter for you. Uh, I'm like, oh, I found it quite amusing but yeah so that we didn't get the official world record for that which I know I like to correct because you do see if you if you google Ollie Rush Isla White Swim and a lot of the, the articles say you know world record it's not an official world record because um, I was in a wetsuit but yes so from that where do you go next but I, I kind of and this sounds weird even when I say it to be honest or even when I think it is I felt a little bit short changed doing that swim I trained for a 26 hour swim and 15 hours nine minutes later I'd finished it and I was a bit like, man, I wanted to push myself. I wanted to find you. You know this. I can see the father look on your face. Yeah. You want you want to know where um, where your boundaries are and what what you can achieve. We all want to know what we're capable of. Um, so I wanted to do something bigger. Um, and I'd been out to the Cayman Islands before. I knew they had a problem with plastic pollution, which is one of my big passions, um, getting rid of plastic pollution. So. I wanted to go out there. I had a friend out there as well um, who c could sort of organise it. So I dropped her a message and said, um, I want to come and swim around Cayman. And she was on it straight away. She loved it. We got in touch with um, a lady called Claire from Plastic Free Cayman, um, which was an, an organisation out there doing amazing work and said, look, Ollie wants to come out, do this swim. He's just finished the Isle of Wight. She was quite sceptical, to be honest. No one swam around the Grand Cayman before. It's a huge challenge. There's normally a reason why someone's not swam around it before. Um, so yeah that was that was what we did we, we got the plans together um my dad had been out there so we were very very lucky to get accommodation sorted i think if we'd have paid for my accommodation it would have been 50 grand really yeah we stayed at a place called moritz on the east end absolutely gorgeous yeah um so we were lucky we got some sponsors for that um i flew out there and we basically put a team together me and a, um, a chap that i'd only met about two months previously um a chap called Chance, who's now a great friend of mine. Um, and he came out, it happened that he was, you know, leaving the army at the same time, wanted to get involved with the project, liked the sound of what I was doing and wanted to come and help. So he kind of project managed it along with Jen, who was already in Cayman. And we built this team and we convinced people it was something we were going to do. Um, it was an incredible experience. And even when I first got there, there was a lot of skepticism. You know, people didn't really believe that this chap... The locals... Yeah, yeah, locals, um, people I'd spoken to over here that I, that, that were uh, marathon swimmers were very sceptical. Um, you know, a 15-hour swim in a wetsuit with tide assist for most of the way um, was, was, you know, although a big swim, not a massive endurance feat because I had the tide with me and I was in a wetsuit. So there was some scepticism. Um, I remember a chap said to me when I was out there, he said, you know do you really think you can swim swim around this island and I, we were both leaning across this balcony looking out to sea and i said let's put it another way do you think if my life depended on it i could swim around this island and he nice. was like like he, that love that yeah he said he kind of like you could see you look in his face change and i just said and i just said to him well there you go so if my if my life depends on it, I, no i said i think it's more important than that i think it's more important than that and that's and you know and he got goosebumps and he ended up sponsoring us five grand and fair one and I like that <laughs> that's necky but that's I like it though mate that's yeah. a really good sort of way to think about it because I I said that about the row mate I was like I'd rather die than not than fail yeah like I either do it or I'll die I out saw there. that on your I think I read your post that said that yeah. and it sounds extreme it to does anyone. and my mum hates it when yeah. I say that but it, I knew I was going to do it mm. so it's not that extreme for no. I can say it. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting you, you knew you're going to do it but at the same time you're that invested in it that you're prepared to put you're, you're prepared Everything. to go yeah and, and and that's what you have to do to do these groundbreaking things you have to be prepared to go further than people have gone before yeah how did that make you feel because I'm guessing there was more, more scepticism about the Grand Cayman swim yeah yeah how did that make you feel did it you know, light your fire more to prove people wrong. Yeah, I'm, I, I know you've, you've corrected me earlier for saying I'm not. I am quite naive. I will take something on whether I am ca perhaps capable of it or not. But again, I'm stubborn enough to get it, get the job done. It famous Ross Edgerly quote, isn't it? Naive enough to start, stubborn enough to finish. Love it. But it is a little bit like that. So although I knew there was a lot of scepticism, I knew in my heart that I wanted to see how far I could push myself. Deep down, 
was I sure I could swim around Grand Cayman? Not necessarily, but combining my, you know, I'm a fairly good swimmer with the fact that I do have this almost, you know, this desire to make a change in the world. Because it's not a massive thing we need to do. We need to, well, it is massive, but it's something that if we all make small changes, we really can make a big difference. So I've got this massive desire to, to help that. So I'm just waffling now. We're going to have to cut that. Down. No, no, you're not, <laughs> mate. You're not, mate. No, it's cool, honestly. Go on, tell me, mate, tell me more. Like, So it's good to hear the passion. Um, yeah. Because a lot of people go, watch listen to this and yeah people i get the same question like wh- why did you want to do that it's not you talk about ego and yeah that might be part of it but it's not the whole reason no you were so passionate about getting rid of plastic pollution because it is massive yeah you, every day maybe not every day but the majority of days when i was around the atlantic mate i'd see rubbish in the mm. water um and i'd try and get it if i could but you know you can't and you realize that if i'm out here you know, when I'm close to the International Space Station than I am to land and there's still like mm. fishing nets, rubbish, but not even fishing nets. So I remember seeing a propane tank. Yeah. What the fuck is that doing in the Atlantic, in the Atlantic Ocean, mate? So, no, mate, it's good to hear that where that passion comes yeah, from, that drive. Yeah, it's, it's proper, yeah, it's a proper passion. It's something that has, it has come from a place of, you know, I was quite disconnected, to be honest, from all of that sort of stuff. Disconnected with the fact that you know we are only one of a lot of species on this on this earth that deserve to be here and and enjoy it and live and and it is it is depressing to see the amount of stuff that washes up so i have got that real passion to make a difference in that storm so so although it was a huge swim i think knowing that i could combine that passion and that why i think if you've got a real strong why then you know you can achieve some crazy things and i won't say you can achieve anything because you can't some people <laughs> you know there are certain things there are certain limits i couldn't swim in the arctic circle because yeah. i would freeze so i know my limits but i'm also i'm, I'm up for challenging those you've seen those nutters that do it in like speedos nothing else crazy yeah it's amazing so you said this swimming um this swim this uh swim around grand cayman was a hell of a lot harder around the Isle of Wight why and, and what was your thought process sort of halfway through or, or what was the thought process when you realized holy shit I'm, this is a bit juicy this yeah it, the, the whole thing was off the scale um the Isle of Wight I'm not going to say that was easy because it wasn't an easy swim um it's a massive swim but this was on another scale so going into the swim I, I don't know why I think maybe because I knew I was injured I'd injured myself about two weeks beforehand on a training swim I did a 10 hour training swim one weekend and it was amazing it felt easy it felt good it was confident everything felt comfortable no injuries um, and then I went out and did another swim and it just my shoulder was just shooting pains I could barely bring my arm across, above my head um, and I phoned up a mate back here in the UK and sort of told him what was happening he's a GP he's a swimmer as well he's from the channel he's incredible chap really helped me with the whole process and he said look you've got a couple of options you can it you don't do the swim or you stay out of the water for two weeks get some therapy on on however you can on your shoulder and then and then jump in and see how it feels on the day so that's kind of what i did uh, obviously we couldn't really tell any of the sponsors this yeah. ballsy yeah so i hadn't swam for two weeks so i, st- I remember stood on the shore it's five o'clock in the morning i think it was and i'm looking out to sea and i had absolutely no energy whatsoever no drive and i just thought this is bad like you know <laughs> any other day i'm normally the buzziest person you can imagine i just felt flat on the day and we set off and I kind of got into a rhythm but didn't really feel feel relaxed very early on I was on medication um, for my shoulder really strong anti-inflammatories that had some side effects that I wasn't aware of Um, and I had one before before I set off and they're meant to be 12 hour intervals Um, I was given another one of those at four hours in and it just uh, yeah everything was going straight through me at four hours in so then you're losing any fluids any food I'm you know I had to I remember saying to this lovely lady who was kayaking next to me that I'd only met once or twice I said I'm ever so sorry but my stomach's not feeling too good and it it, it wasn't sorry for everyone listening um but yeah so I so very early on it please start, tell me you've been that wet suit when you finished <laughs> I wasn't luckily I wasn't in a wet suit oh you weren't in a wet suit no so, so moving on um so it went wrong fairly quickly I felt flat I felt drained you know how if you've um I don't know if you if you haven't eaten for a while you've been training and you just feel flat and yeah. your sugars I just didn't feel good so quite early on it was it was quite 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 sure that it was it was going wrong yeah. <laughs> I've said that a few times now um, and 
it just was a case of I'm not going to get another shot at this. I'm not going to have another chance to swim around this island and to have talked to the, the schools that I had done. I went and did some school visits beforehand and I kept pulling back those memories of the school kids and the looks on their faces when I said to them, I'm Ollie, I'm from the UK and I'm going to swim around your island because I'm fed up about plastic pollution. And it was pulling those memories up um, that I think kept me going. So eventually we got past the fact that I was, you know, my stomach wasn't well. I managed to managed to sort that out. Um, uh, yeah, and it started getting dark when we got to Moritz. Obviously, night time's come. I've been swimming for about 12 hours at this point. Um, and for some reason, I, I thought I was going to be a bit scared. I'd not, I'd not done much training at night, which again was a little bit silly perhaps. Um, and just the most magnificent sensation, just swimming at night. You can't see anything. Had the boats, the boats were far enough away that you couldn't really hear the engines a couple of kayakers um and you know there was none of the, the the worry about the sharks that had been mentioned and stuff especially on the east end of the island um and it just never really i never i'll be honest i never really got to a point where i thought i was going to stop um there were points when i thought perhaps my body was going to force me to stop um i remember towards the end about 30 hours in um we mentioned earlier about the the things mad you've been swimming for 30 hours you've still got I've seven to go <laughs> I've, sk I've skipped a lot of the low points to be yeah. fair but about 30 hours in um i could i was really struggling to take on water we talked about the effects of, of salt water and swimming for a long time so my tongue was really swollen at this point i couldn't talk properly um and any water i was drinking was most of it was just running down the side of my face and it was the same with food i was really struggling to swallow and i said to my kayaker next to me I said, mate, I'm struggling a little bit. I can, you know, it's difficult to breathe. Not thinking that, of course, he was going to. He got on the radio and said, you know, guy could won this. Is, and, and next thing, the, the, the boat's coming over with the medic support and she wants to put this oxygen thing on my finger to test that my oxygen. And, and I knew as soon as they touched me that it wasn't going to be a world record attempt. And at this point, I can see the finish. Yes, it's six hours away, but I can see the yeah. finish. And I was like, you're not putting that on me. And they were well, we're going to call the swim off. And it got to that. And I thought, how can I... How can I turn this around now? So if I can make them laugh, then they might leave me alone. So I said, with my swollen tongue that I couldn't properly talk out of, I said, my name's Ollie and I hate single-use plastics. And the whole place just erupted. Everyone started laughing and yeah. stuff. And they were like, no, he's fine. He's fine. And, and, and then it was from then onwards, it was about, I'm looking at the map now as we're sat here. It's just around the corner there. And it was six hours of hallucinations. I'd look up at my, my kayaker chance at the time and he'd be playing the guitar one minute and then I'd look down and I could force them. So I'd imagine that he would next have a big Mexican hat on. I'd look up and he'd have a Mexican hat. And they were, it was real. This yeah. guy had a Mexican hat on. Obviously he didn't. So yeah, crazy what the mind can do. Um, and somehow we managed to get to the end. So that's another thing I didn't even think about, the sleep depth. Mm. You would have had no experience of that. But well, I don't know. Had you had any experience of those sort of hallucinations? Because being in the military, been on sort of long exercises through the night. And, you know, I remember this one... We were on Dartmoor, dry brick stone wall, and my old science teacher was stood there in the doorway. And I was like, none. No, surely not. I looked again, he was still there, and I like blinked, like rubbed my eyes, like that you see in the films. And he'd gone, and I was like, oh my God, I'm so tired. And that's from sleep deprivation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like mental. So, but what was they, um, we've spoken, you know, hallucinations, but what was that sort of last 30 minutes when you can see it? Was it pure euphoria when you you made it in or were you just relief because you'd been through the ringer for the last 36 and a half hours, hadn't you? <laughs> I was buzzing, yeah, when it started getting closer. Because it's funny, if anyone looks at a map now and sees Grand Cayman, the the west end of the island, it's kind of like a, it's a big bay and a seven-mile beach. Yeah. And from one corner of it to the other corner, you can see. You can see the two ends. But to swim it, it's five, six hours. So for five or six hours, I was convinced I was nearly at the end. And I remember saying to myself well, I'm not going to look up now for another 10 minutes and then it will be closer and I'll be swimming along. And I think that's got to be 10 minutes. And I'd look at my watch and like 30 seconds had passed. It was that bad towards the end. I just, and it, I think the main reason was not because I was necessarily in pain. I think at that point, everything was numb. It was just the fact that I wanted to go to sleep. I was so tired and just done with swimming. Um, but, you know, and I think this was a really clever, I don't know if it was planned, um, in, in you know because it was the end and it was motivation that's where it was going to be needed but two lads I'd already met and been speaking to and had been encouraging me and I've been chatting to them about swimming um, jumped in and swam the last I, I think probably 10 kilometers with me 
So I had these two young lads and they were quicker than me. They, I mean, I think they were like 12 years old. A chap called Ben and Jake, amazing lads. And at this point, they're swimming quicker than me because I was absolutely oh, shot yeah. to the world at this point. Um, but th just the fact that they were there smiling, they were busting out little shackers at me under the water and it was, it was brilliant. And uh, the whole crew were just singing and yeah, there's some cool videos online. And, and getting to the end, I didn't think my legs were going to work. I thought I'd stand up and fall straight back over. I stood up and I remember just thinking, this is cool. My legs still work. And they were still there. And, it was, yeah. and I, again, whether that was the adrenaline, there was a, there was a, like a, a mattress, not a mattress, but like a, you know, a, a medical bed led out on the floor that they thought I was going to be collapsed into and pulled into the ambulance. But luckily we didn't need any of that. And I was able to talk to a few people and stuff before getting whisked off to hospital. Yeah, incredible. How long did you spend in hospital and just that little bit of recovery, that initial recovery? What was that like? Were you in bobbins? Were you in Clipwear? Uh, it wasn't ideal. Yeah. I, I, um, so I reckon if I'd have got out 30 hours, I would have gone home, had a nasty sunburn, slept it off and, and probably not been too bad. It was those last six hours that did me in. Swimming for six, seven hours without proper hydration just sapped me. Um, and, you know, muscles start breaking down, all that sort of stuff. I was super dehydrated. Um, I was pretty bad. They they, they said to start with, um, they they tested me, um, rhabdomyolysis, I think it was called, and they said your markers are quite high in your blood. So it looks like your muscles are breaking down a lot more they than they should. They start to release protein into the blood, don't they? Yeah. yeah and that can so they were a bit worried about the levels. They said, we're going to be taking you to um, intensive care. And then another doctor come in about half an hour later and, and then they said, you know, actually your markers aren't that bad. We're going to leave you where you are, get loads of fluid. I think I had 16 bags of fluid. They were intent on putting a catheter in because I hadn't been for a wee. I said, dude, get me a pint of glass, I'll, a pint of water, I'll go for a wee for you. Yeah. <laughs> I had a shower at the hospital. So I, I was in a bad way, but at the same time I was elated. I think the worst thing, and I'll be honest, I, it, it was that painful, it actually made me cry, was my shoulders. I was on morphine, and I remember my right shoulder, the pain was just so intense. I was like, I could kind of deal with it because it was one shoulder, and then for some reason the other shoulder did the same. And no matter what I took, this pain wouldn't go away for about an hour. And I did some funny stretch with my shoulders, it disappeared. So whether it was cramping or something in my shoulders, I don't know, but mainly just dehydrated, third degree burns and, and tired. Yeah. And I remember sleeping and just appreciating putting my head on that pillow. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. I, when I got into America, I was oh, lucky, unlucky. Basically, I had to anchor off just off the coast. Yeah. Because I got there in the middle of the night. Not for like PREs or anything reasons like that. I'd, I'd missed my original in, in, inlet. So I had to go into this inlet and I thought, right, I'll go into this inlet in, in the daylight rather than at night because I've never seen it before. So I had a full night's sleep and I got in and it was a really good moment because then all my family were there at a reasonable hour, 11 in the morning. And you know, one thing that annoyed me, so I was in pretty good, you know, I was a little bit unsteady on the legs. I'd like bump into anything, but people are like, oh, Jack, slow down on the beers and stuff. And I was like, slow down on the beers. Slow down on the... I've been at sea for 11 days on my own. I'm like, pass me another Corona and I'll have another, <laughs> you know, burger and chips, mate. So it, I'm so happy you got to have that moment rather than straight on the bed and um, off to the hospital. But it can't have been that bad, mate, because you're planning another challenge. You, Tell us more. You have to, don't you? Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. Trouble. And I said after that swim, I said, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> I said to Tess, I said to my mum, I said to everyone else, I said, I'm not putting myself through that again. And not just myself, you know. It is, yeah, you feel bad about everyone else because they do go through it as well. Yes, I'm the one in the water who, my mum didn't, you know, she didn't sleep for probably two weeks beforehand worrying about me, you know. You're going to get yeah. eaten by sharks. You're going to get stung by one of those jellyfish that's going to kill you. How old are you, Wally? If you don't mind me asking. Old enough that she probably shouldn't be as well. But mums will, won't Mate, they? Mate, I'm 29 and my mum still worries. Do you know what I mean? It never changes, <laughs> yeah, does it? I'm 37 yeah. and she's still worries. You don't look a day over 36, mate. Thank you, mate. Thank you. <laughs> so it's it's one of them. I just want to do it again now. Yeah. Um, I've got this to this point where, I, it's funny, I don't know if I want to push myself to that level again, which kind of makes it harder to train for this swim or harder to build the motivation up because I'm not, the next island I want to swim around is slightly smaller. Do I, um, but do you think part of the reason, because not saying you performed badly, but you weren't in peak, you know, like you said, you were on the start mm. line like that. Phew, yeah. I've got no energy. Four hours in, you've got the runs. Do you think the reason you want to go again is because you're like, I could do that again, but better? Yeah, it's interesting. That I had the exact, exact conversation with a mate of mine who I train with pretty much every day. And he said to me, you know, you did, you got around that swim and you were hanging mm. before you even set off. 
So what can you achieve if you're fit? I'm actually going to train less for this swim, and that's not because it's a smaller swim. It's slightly smaller, but we're talking, you know, a couple of hours. Um, I, I think I overtrained for the last one. I was training every day. I was never giving myself that chance to recover. Um, but yeah, I've, you know, I've built up this this um, ability to be able to get into that headspace where I can just keep going. And I haven't yet found the end. If you know, if it was another kilometer, would I have been? Of course, I would. I'd have kept going for another kilometer. So, how far can you keep pushing? I get the feeling you would have gone till you died, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's the worrying thing. Yeah. Um, Mum, don't listen to that. Yeah, bit. don't listen to that bit. So, yeah, I just want to do it again. And and we, you know, we raised an incredible amount of money on the last swim, um, and also a hell of a lot of awareness. We we actually had meetings with government officials. We went in and had a had a chat with Premier Premier Wayne Panton, I think his name is. Um, of the C- governor here, but his name is um, of the governor of the Cayman Islands, and we actually um, got the you know it's not the bill, but we got got it talked again about bringing the single-use plastic ban in place over there. So they they did agree to ban certain items that hasn't come in yet, but it's the, it's getting those talks. You're never going to get to have those talks with people unless you do something out there. Yeah. So if I have to keep doing something out there to make that change happen, you know, I want to get to the end of my little short existence knowing that I've done all I can. Because um, the one, you know, the thing I get satisfaction out of isn't material possessions. It's not having a flash car. It's it's moments and, and those. And, I'm, and I'll be honest, the fleeting moments for me are feeling content, which is when I'm swimming. So if I can, if I can keep doing it. So, yeah, the next one is um, beautiful island out in Greece called Ithaca. Um, it's slightly smaller, so I'm, I'm estimating somewhere between 24 to 30 hours. So still a huge, huge swim um, in September, early September, and I've and it is very early stages. I've literally only just been starting um, chatting to a lady that lives out there, trying to make some connections. You know, the the island Isle of Wight swim, Grand Cayman. I had connections, and I was able to build a team before I got there. It's a lot harder with this one because I don't know anyone on the yeah. island. So why that island? Yeah, um, it's a, yeah. Everyone says, "Why you? Why do you want to go and swim around um, Ithaca?" It, one, it's um, it's it's a massive swim that's not been done before. There's not many of those left to be. Well, there is. There's loads, but you know, in, not in beautiful locations. If I can go and swim around an island like the that, the Isle of Man. Yeah. <laughs> well, we did talk about the Isle of Man, but we decided that was going to be fifty-hour swim. Okay. So maybe a, a stretch too far at the moment and that would need to be a wetsuit so it's funny you say the island man maybe one day um but yeah you know beautiful beautiful island out there warm seas and and again somewhere that you can hopefully reach uh the local you know fishing community get them involved as well get them aware about the the ghost nets and and the damage that they cause um and there's a, there's some fantastic organizations that work locally there as well that i'd like to support so yeah why not beautiful why not? island what um you spoke about there that bill that's been granted the single use plastic yeah. ban, but what else has that money that you've helped raised and what effect has that had and um and also not just that the awareness that you've brought what have you seen sort of trying that change so with with all the all the swims we've we've managed to raise a decent amount of money incredible support from the local community a lot of that will come from Instagram or you know um some of the GoFundMe pages and stuff. So the first few few swims, um, a lot of the money went to uh, an organisation called Go Pladdle, a local organisation. They were able to buy a little engine for their boat, electric en- outboard to go and clear up plastics. Um, Clean Jurassic Coast, who I supported as well. We bought a little boat, um, which we go out along the Jurassic Coast cleaning up plastics. So I see where the money goes, and that's what's nice. That's important. Yeah. Um, and with the Cayman swim, um, it was fifty fifty thousand pounds we raised, which is a massive massive amount of money, and that's yeah. going to go towards really helping um, Plastic Free Cayman with what they're doing. They're going to they've employed someone, so they're taking on a full time member of staff. Um, I came back with a small amount of money as well from some of the sponsors, um, which I've put towards a little workshop in my in my garage, where I'm now able to repurpose the plastics. Um, and make stuff out of it um, I've been doing school visits and things as well so we're actually trying to turn into a charity at the moment mm. or get charity registration so we can up the efforts that we're doing so you get to see firsthand where that money going but again it's it's not just about that it's about the awareness as well I get people message me that you wouldn't think in a hundred years would, would would say oh, I've just been on a beach clean or oh I did my you know they're proud that they've done their recycling and for them you know it's fantastic to hear that so it is reaching people that perhaps wouldn't hear about these things otherwise yeah how big of a problem is it in the uk because you always see the pictures i think you know say the reef of you know maybe southeast asia or africa 
Um, but is it still a massive problem in the, like the UK? We are an island, mm. and how much? Yeah, how much of a problem is it for us? Yeah, so it's a huge problem. I mean, it's global. Even if we didn't see the plastics in the in the sea, set, we do. You know, I, I clear on average between one to three tons on my own um, from the Jurassic coastline. If you can let, if you combine what we're all doing along the Jurassic coast, it, tons and tons and tons of rubbish is washing up on the shores, and and it will travel globally. Anything that goes in the ocean has potential to go anywhere with the currents and stuff. So there is a huge problem here, you know, the, that the bigger plastics break down into microplastics. So it's in the food chain, it's in human blood, um, it, it penetrates the blood-brain barrier, it gets in our brain. It does, it's doing all sorts of things that I don't even think we're aware of, to be honest. Um, but also, you know, it traps innocent animals. Um, so it's a hor- it really is a horrible thing when it gets into the environment. Plastic on its own can be, you know, super, super useful, almost... I think at the moment you could argue that it's almost essential in hospitals in certain yeah. situations plastic is but when it gets to the single use stuff that we can avoid then I think it's it's a no brainer that we need to get away from that. Yeah. So I was going to say what's your biggest single yeah. use plastic that you hate? Yeah, I, I, bottles bottles, plastic, yeah, bottles yeah, yeah, which yeah. is why I'm sat in now with me little <laughs> but I feel bad because my bottles in the car honestly I've got one. Oh, good man, <laughs> good man. But it's just you know we can all make these small changes and it does make a huge difference. It's not about being perfect. We still test bless I you know I don't do the shopping and and if I did would I you know do you have the time do we have the money we all lead busy lives but it's making those alternative choices if we can which makes a huge difference no I love that as well because I always a pushback I hear is oh I'm not going to make a difference mm. it all and I just think yeah, but if everyone just made those small changes like you said we're not yeah. perfect you can't avoid it yeah. all of the time mm. But if you can make those small changes, it really does make a massive it difference. It does make a massive difference. And I think, you know, at the moment, there's a lot of anxiety about whether it's to do with the environment or, you know, the way we, where we look with social media. I think everyone's a lot more aware of, of the, you know, social pressures and stuff. But with with regards to the environmental stuff, it is very easy to, to go down that. I went down a very kind of dark hole, if I'm honest, when I started doing it. I was down at Chapman's Pool. The stuff was washing in quicker than I could put it up. I've got a bit of the old ADHD, which doesn't help when you're trying to pick up every bit of plastic on the beach. Um, well, especially when you're making these fine coasters, oh, mate. Oh, look at you that know. nice little plug. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Available on his Etsy shop. Legend. Yeah. But it's, it's, yeah, it's just, um, you can get overwhelmed by it. And it, it, for me, it was really a case of realising that we can only do what we can do. Um, so making those small changes do have a big impact. And it's, and it's about inspiring other people. I do a few school visits at the moment and my... My, my little opening line is always the same at the minute I need to come up with a new one but it's it's just saying to them you know how many people are in this classroom at, or in this hall at the minute and you know sometimes 300 people 400 people and I say imagine if each and every one of you goes away from here and does something that will better impact the planet and I said but then imagine you then go on to inspire someone else to make a change so it's that ripple effect so it does make a difference and we've got to be positive because I ain't rolling over and giving up that's for yeah. sure <laughs> well I can tell that from your swings <laughs> mate no um Ollie mate I've really enjoyed chatting with you uh, this morning mate but I've got one sort of final question mate if you could give one piece of advice to a young Ollie Rush what would it be and why oh it, I should have thought about this I sh- um I think it would probably be um I'd love to have known that that material possessions didn't make me happy earlier on I've wasted a lot of time and money chasing these shiny things that make me happy for five minutes and then you get used to them so i think that would be the advice you know don't go for those shiny things stop yeah. being a magpie and just and, and realize what's important in life mate i totally agree and i guarantee when you was on the bare bones in that last six hours you weren't thinking god wish i had a bmw waiting for me <laughs> at the finish line we are am i right, exactly yeah, right yeah, mate. yeah mate no thank you for today mate really enjoyed it Guys, that is the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please could you follow, like, and subscribe as it really helps grow the podcast. Thank you for listening. You enjoy that, mate? I did enjoy it. Thank you, mate. Really enjoyed that, buddy.